Our gospel lesson today is from the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be reading chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And the people said, Amen. Today we're talking about the Magi, also known as the wise men or astrologers, the three kings from the Orient, as the song says, the song we just sung a little earlier. Though the carol tells of three kings, the Bible doesn't specify how many. Rather, there were three gifts, but over the years, the three kings has kind of come the part of the story. There could have been more, for sure. Although most nativity scenes show the Magi in the crowded stable at Jesus' birth, along with the shepherds and angel, animals, Mary, Joseph, and the, and the baby Jesus, the Magi were surely later visitors. Some scholars believe up to two years later, perhaps, after the birth. At that point, G- Joseph had found better lodging with his family, which is probably why Matthew reports that the Magi came to the house. You see that in verse 11, to find Jesus. The main point I'd like to make today is not the exact date that the Magi came seeking Jesus, nor is related to how many kings there might have been, or how much time had passed since Jesus' birth and their arrival. Rather, I would like for us to focus today on what the wise men did. They came from the east, far away specifically to pay homage to the one born king, not appointed king, not assuming the throne, the one born king. 
when they found him, they knelt down and they worshipped him. They adored him. They presented him gifts fit for a king, special gifts, sacrificial gifts. They finished, the Magi did, what they came to do. Over the centuries, many artists have painted paintings depicting the adoration of the Magi. Perhaps the most famous one is by that name, the Adoration of the Magi, by Leonardo da Vinci. In 1480, he was commissioned to paint an 8-foot by 9-foot painting that would go in the altar of a, a monastery there in Florence, Italy. Da Vinci started the painting, but he never finished it. He was about 29 years old at the time, and although he worked on it for a while, he got to a certain point, kind of the foundational parts, the browns and the yellows, and then he moved on to Milan and never worked on it again. The commission of the monastery was eventually given to another artist who painted his painting and presented it to the monastery. Da Vinci's unfinished work still exists to this day in a gallery in Florence, Italy, though it is Incomplete, it is one of his most revered works. I don't know about you, but I've left a lot of things undone in my life. Wouldn't it be great if our unfinished projects were considered masterpiece by other people? But it doesn't work that way. Nor do we want it to work that way. We want to be remembered for the things that we have finished not by the things that we have left undone. We want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Someday, hopefully a long day from now, at my funeral, I hope someone says, that Bob Lee, he did a good work. Well done, good and faithful servant. There are several theories out there why Da Vinci's work went unfinished. He did have a reputation for not completing some of his works, or perhaps the money wasn't there. He said, show me the money, and it wasn't there, and so he went on to something else. That's certainly a possibility. He never finished portraying the Magi worshiping Jesus. The Magi finished their work of adoration. Da Vinci did not. What about us? What about our unfinished masterpieces? What have we left undone? What would we like to finish? It's not that we don't plan to finish things. We want to. I plan to finish the books I read. I'm one who reads several at a time. I've got Melanie can vouch for the two on the bedstand and some in my study, one in the bag I carry around with me and uh, in the car when I go places. I have a lot of books on my shelf where the bookmarker is three-fourths at the end. Some of you are nodding your heads. I want to finish them. I will someday. Or what about the deck that I have partially stained? Got part of it done last year, and now I have to do the railings and the top part and the sides and the outside. I'm not proud of my unfinished stained deck. Or what about that lunch appointment with a friend? Every time we see them, we're like, you know, we need to have lunch together. We should have coffee. And then we go our separate ways and we never do it. We don't finish that appointment. Often I have good intentions that get sidetracked by the clamoring 
of distractions. The Jesus Calling devotional, which I love, I read daily, on January 2nd, calls this the quote, clamor of tasks waiting to be done. Now, grace is good, and we need grace, because sometimes we experience the unpredictable, things beyond our control that just cause us to have interruptions. It might be health concerns or a loss in the family. Or maybe we lose focus or enthusiasm. Maybe we get apathetic. Sometimes we may experience depression and anxiety and we can't even get out of bed in the morning. God understands that. Sometimes work gets in the way. Family schedules and busyness gets in the way. We're normal people. God understands that. This message is not about you and me feeling any worse than we already do about some of the things that we haven't finished. But it is about trying to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ and following through doing the right thing over the long term. This is what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. His book is by that title. It's reflective of the Psalms of Ascent. In the latter part of the Psalter, uh, Psalm 121 is an example of such. I lift mine eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. A long obedience in the same direction. This is about following Jesus as consistently as we can in our daily living, following through on intended good deeds on missions to which we are called, following through on commitments we have made to the church and others, and letting go of our prejudice, our unforgiveness, and seeking reconciliation with people whom we know we need to reconcile. If you're like me, it's easy to make good headway and then lose focus where God is pointing us. Thus, we need supernatural spiritual support and power. We receive that from God. And we continue to rely on God to do the good, pleasing, and perfect will that he has in store for us in this life. If you go to Romans 12, 1 and 2 to read more about that. With God's help, we can persevere. I believe that the Christian life is a matter of perseverance. Yes, John the Baptist reminds us that the Christian life involves living lives worthy of repentance. Yes, we are called to a lifestyle of stewardship, obedience, and commitment. But Christianity is also a matter of perseverance. Paul the Apostle writes, So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up and quit. Galatians 6.9 from Eugene Peterson's message. This echoes Peterson's long obedience in the same direction. Christianity, I believe, is a marathon. It is not a sprint. Most good things in life are not acquired at once, instantaneously. And this runs counter to the conditioning that we experience in this world where we want two-hour delivery, and that's too slow. We have 30-second commercials, and then we lose our focus. Impatience with a four-second advertisement before we watch the rest of our YouTube video that's coming on. Fast food that we want even faster. Or why didn't he or she text me back because I expect an instantaneous response? Or big box churches who are all about instant gratification and entertainment and have little patience for being still and knowing God is God. We need to persevere. A couple of examples in the Bible are Simeon and Anna. If you read the birth narrative in Luke's Gospel, you'll find two faithful people who modeled perseverance Simeon and Anna recognized the presence of God in the infant Jesus. 
Luke tells us, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before seeing the Lord's Messiah. This phrase waiting implies a long-term, patient waiting, a long obedience in the same direction. Anna was also one who modeled long obedience in that same direction. Luke writes, who was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. So she was married only seven years, and he died young. And she was a widow for the rest of her life. And the scripture says, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Both Simeon and Anna signed up for the long haul. They were faithful to the end. And the Apostle Paul reminds us to keep the faith. He modeled perseverance writing near his death. I have fought the good faith. I have run the race. I have, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. His words refer more to more than simply completing a mission project or trying to maintain a daily quiet time, he is pointing to completing a whole life of discipleship. It's viewing the Christian life as a lifelong journey, not a vacation. We are pilgrims, not tourists, says Eugene Peterson. Along this journey, there are some milestones or spiritual markers that we want to reach along the way. Sticking with the day-to-day tasks that aren't easy, a commitment to regular prayer, Bible reading, and accountability to other believers, making worship and generosity an ongoing priority, saying yes to serving in God's church. There are times where we are called to serve. There is a a, a certain gift that we have and a certain need that matches that, and we are called to serve uniquely in that area, and we know it, we sense it. And then there are other times in the church where we are called, someone in the church, a pastor calls you or one of our leaders calls you and says, we're um, praying about this, we've sensed that God uh, is leading us to you, and we would really like you to consider serving in this way. It may not be your call. It may not be your spiritual gift. But you say yes to God because there is a need in the church. Sometimes we are called and sometimes we are served because there is a need. We do that over the long haul. We look at ourselves in the mirror. And we assess the attitudes of pride and arrogance and prejudice and mistreatment of others. And we seek to do better over the long haul with God's help. We continue to love our difficult neighbor as much as we love ourselves along obedience in the same direction. We seek to finish well with God's help. In NCAA football, recently there are a number of athletes who have opted out of their bowl game because they're looking at going into the NFL draft and they don't want to sustain an injury or They opt out of their bowl for some other reason. And I understand that. But if that were me, I would feel like I were missing something. If I had played on a team all these years, and then this is my last game, I would miss that. Benny Snell Jr. is a star running back for the Kentucky Wildcats. He will be a high pick in the NFL draft for sure. Yet he chose not to opt out of his bowl game. He chose to play in the Citrus Bowl on New Year's Day 
against Penn State. And Benny Snell had a record-setting game, becoming the all-time rushing leader for University of Kentucky in that victory. Rather than sitting out his bowl game, he finished what he started. When interviewed by ESPN after the game, the reporter, she, she said this, Benny, you never questioned your playing in the game. You made the decision and you played all the way through it. Why was that important to you? And he responded, because it is deeper than football. I'm the type of guy that if I start something, I'm going to finish it. I came into the program as an underdog, he said. I came into this program fighting for a spot. I got my spot. I wanted to fight for this team to beat somebody, to be a team, and to be somewhere. And we are here now, he said. And if I'm going to come in fighting, I am going to end fighting. Benny Snell finished what he started. He finished well. May you and me trust God to finish well. We are at the start of a new year. It is a good time to reflect back on 2018 for sure to think about the things that we might have left undone and to ask some questions about those, but not to dwell and live there. What did we leave undone? What did we leave start and not finish? What projects might we be struggling with? What's the next step to be successful in that area of our lives? What's keeping you and me from taking that first or next step? Maybe it's a recovery. What's keeping you from that first or next step in recovery? What's keeping you from that first or next step in healing your marriage? What's keeping you from taking that first or next step in being more available to your family and so forth? What do you and I sense God calling us to do? What are the outside voices we need to listen to? What are the outside voices we need to ignore? What are the inner voices of self-doubt, insecurity, and fear saying to us? And can we overlook those and let the voice of God overshadow them? What challenges are really indicators that we are on the right track? How can you and I experience the joy of finishing what we started? Because I am convinced that when God calls us to a task, that God will provide the help to finish it. One sign is that we are led to do work that we often did not intend to do. And another sign is that we are trusted to seek God's help to take the task to completion. Paul writes, Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself, as he prepared to die on that cross, said, it is finished. And I am so thankful that God sent his son, our Savior, to be one who finished what he started. And because of his finished work on the cross, you and I, through God's grace, are forgiven, made whole, and have the promise of everlasting life. And today as we break bread, these symbols remind us of his sacrifice 
and of his finished work on the cross. In a few moments, as our deacons serve you, reflect on what we've talked about today and reflect on the one who has gone before you, who finished his work. Jesus also took the cup of wine and blessed it and poured it out, saying, this is my blood shed for you through the remission of your sins and the sins of many. As often as you meet, take and drink this do in remembrance of me. As often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the coming of the Son of Man. Shall we pray? Lord, we pray your blessing upon this sacred meal and all those who are gathered at your table to receive it. We are thankful that we can stand at the threshold of this new year knowing that you finished your work, that you defeated death, defeated sin, conquered the grave, and rose from the dead and lived today. We pray your forgiveness for our sins, known and unknown. And we know your word says, when we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just and forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.